From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for Friday, March 1, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, Scott Vanderwerf and Studio C's Eric Kuiper discuss this weekend's new films. Also, Muskegon County has a gun lock delivery program. Pine Rest is warning people about a phone scam and more state and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. Muskegon County hopes to increase gun safety with its free gun lock delivery program. WGVU's Kylie Ambu reports. In 2021, data from the Pew Research Center shows firearms were responsible for more than 48,800 deaths across the United States. Of those, more than 1,500 deaths occurred in Michigan. As conversations continue surrounding gun safety, Trinity Health Muskegon and the Muskegon Police Department are partnering to promote safe firearm storage. The community initiative, which coincides with Michigan's new firearm storage laws, provides free gun lock delivery to Muskegon County residents. Organizers say it also emphasizes the importance of communication and education when it comes to children and firearms. In a statement, Holly Alway, Trinity Health's Injury Prevention Coordinator, says, quote, The research underscores the crucial role safe firearm storage plays in safeguarding our children, families, and communities. Gunlock delivery will be provided through March 31st or until supplies run out and can be obtained online at storeitsafemuskegon.org. I'm Kylie Ambu. Another warning is being issued about a phone scam targeting people trying to contact Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services for help. As WGVU's Dee Morrison reports, the number you call might not connect you to Pine Rest at all. Pine Rest is the ongoing target of an online phone scam. Now the Michigan Attorney General is again warning those seeking treatment the phone number they find online may not actually connect them to Pine Rest. Third-party patient brokers have created fraudulent internet ads that appear in search results when people look up Pine Rest on their phones or devices. The phone number listed instead goes to brokers who falsely identify themselves as Pine Rest affiliated and say there are no beds or appointments available. Then they try to book patients to other mental health services out of state. Pine Rest provides outpatient counseling, inpatient mental health care, and detoxification services across West Michigan. Attorney General Dana Nessel's office is investigating what she calls a cruel scheme, targeting victims in a moment of courage when they finally sought professional help. Legitimate contact information is available by going directly to the website at pinerest.org. I'm Dee Morrison. Go Orange with Kids Food Basket kicks off today. The hope is to raise awareness about childhood hunger as well as promote healthy meals to the community. WGVU's Jennifer Moss reports orange is the color representing childhood hunger awareness. Now, March 1st, 2024, Kids Food Rescue is experiencing more requests for services and more need here in West Michigan with our children, our families, and our communities than we ever have in our 22 years of existence. Bridget Clark-Whitney is the president and founding CEO of Kids Food Basket. She says Go Orange with Kids Food Basket is a needed campaign that challenges the West Michigan community to get involved in its mission to nourish kids. The numbers are astounding, not only locally, but statewide. 
Here in Michigan alone, 552,000 children are living in food insecure households, which simply means that there is not enough financial resources to be able to obtain healthy, nourishing food. Clark Whitney says KFB currently serves about 10,000 healthy evening meals to 60 schools in Kent, Muskegon, Ottawa, and Allegan counties. They're once again joining forces with PNC Bank for a month-long effort. They're a company that deeply values community, and they also really value the intersectionality of education and nutrition and the importance of ensuring that our kids have the healthy food that they need so that they can succeed in school. Clark Whitney says the month is filled with opportunities to go orange. Local schools will get involved in KFB Week. You can decorate brown bags or volunteer at a KFB location. And when we can show up in service, one another, we really truly do make the world a better place. And I think that that's, you know, that's what Go Orange Month is all about. You can find more information about Go Orange with Kids Food Basket at kidsfoodbasket.org. I'm Jennifer Moss. A judge has ruled that the city of Muskegon acted in bad faith when it sold waterfront property to a local developer for $2. WGVU's David Limbaugh has more on how this could affect a historic museum. A World War II landing ship tank is an icon on the Muskegon lakeshore. The LST doubles as a museum, and according to its owners, the West Michigan Dock and Market, or Mart Dock, needs repairs and moving to dry land. Mart Dock agreed to what it said was a promised land swap deal with the city of Muskegon in 2022, but says the city withdrew $2.8 million in grant money for funding the transaction and ship's relocation. At the time, Mayor Ken Johnson wrote that this was not true and that, quote, the $2.8 million was never committed to the Mart Dock, and further, the city offered to purchase the land from the Mart Dock and move the boat there, end quote. Mart Dock President Max McKee says selling the land was never part of the original land swap agreement and something they're not willing to do. It filed a lawsuit in 2023 against the city for selling land adjacent to the proposed LST relocation site to local developer John Rooks for $2. Rooks planned to build a large boat launch behind the Shoreline Inn and Conference Center, which he owns. A judge has now ruled on that lawsuit, stating that the city acted in, quote, bad faith, end quote, when it sold the property to Rooks for $2. Circuit Court Judge Kenneth Hoops wrote, quote, the parcel is valuable lakefront property and the easements are dedicated public spaces. The city gave them to the developer for $2 and nothing else, end Quote, concluding, quote, the transactions are void, end quote. According to Max McKee, the land swap is now stalled along with any use of the $2.8 million in grant funds, which were earmarked two years ago for the Third Street Wharf. That swap and those funds are crucial for preserving the LST Museum, so it doesn't sink. We reached out to John Rooks' attorney and Mayor Ken Johnson for comment, but they have yet to respond to our request for an interview. I'm David Limbaugh. Ottawa County is looking for a new administrator. At a special meeting last night, WGVU's Phil Dawson reports the county board fired Administrator John Gibbs. I moved to terminate Mr. Gibbs' contract for cause. A week after placing him on paid leave and just over 13 months since he was hired, the Ottawa County Board of Commissioners, led by Chair Joe Moss, has had enough of Administrator John Gibbs. The board has determined that Mr. Gibbs, in connection with the performance of his duties, has been dishonest, committed gross misconduct, and or committed willful malfeasance. The board suspended and then fired Gibbs after some members said he was no longer following directions, made threats, and inappropriate comments. Board attorney Brooke Bissonette says how much, if any, severance the board may pay depends on whether Gibbs fights the firing. Mr. Gibbs gets another job, decides to move on, maybe it's 
nothing that is an issue going forward. Gibbs was the Trump-backed candidate who defeated West Michigan Congressman Peter Meyer in the 2022 Republican primary and then lost to Democrat Hillary Skolton in the general election. Tina Harner of Holland Township told the board she was surprised the vote was 10 to 1 to fire Gibbs. A modern-day miracle where both sides of the room were in agreement with something. I'm Phil Dawson. New state laws take effect this month that will toughen penalties for patients who assault health care workers. WGVU's David Limbaugh spoke with one of those workers. I see violence in the workplace every single day. Sean Ulrich is the chief nurse executive for Corwell Health West. She says the intent of these laws is to put some teeth behind legislation that will fine individuals for assaulting health care workers. And it's not just one occurrence, it's repeated occurrences that we see. And those assaults can be both physical and verbal. Last November, Governor Whitmer signed into law two bipartisan bills that double the penalties and fines for assaulting both health care workers and volunteers. Ulrich says it's a step in the right direction to help keep Keep workers safe in an industry that has seen an escalation in violent incidents over the years. Healthcare, where we give care to people, that the likelihood of assault is five times greater than in other industries. Ulrich believes the reasons behind these increased incidents is multifaceted, but says the uptick can be traced back to the COVID-19 pandemic. It wasn't just the pandemic, but it certainly seemed to escalate things. Ulrich says she hopes these new laws will help to decrease the number of violent incidents enacted on her co-workers, but it's only the first step towards safer health care facilities overall. It sends a message to health care workers as we hear you, we see you, we're trying to do something about that. I'm David Limbaugh. Michigan legislation to ban the open and unlicensed carry of guns from polling locations passed the state Senate yesterday. Colin Jackson has more. The bill package would apply to voting places and absentee ballot processing and counting locations. Democratic Senator Jeremy Moss says the legislation tries to help voters and election workers feel safer. This is about some who is taking a firearm, demonstrating that they have it, showing it, and, and it adds one layer of intimidation. But Republican Senator Ruth Johnson says the package could get people not trying to break the law in trouble. These bills would serve to restrict the rights of law-abiding citizens in our state. Current state law only bans guns from polling locations in buildings where guns are already banned, like schools and places of worship. I'm Colin Jackson in Lansing. Michigan Republicans will hold their presidential caucuses tomorrow in Grand Rapids. That's after ousted GOP chair Christina Caramo canceled plans for a competing convention in Detroit. But Rick Plutus says a new insurgency is brewing. One or more congressional district parties are planning to host their own presidential caucuses to select national convention delegates. Katie Niss is chair of the Grand Traverse Republican Party. She says many people selected as delegates to represent their congressional districts are being denied credentials to the Grand Rapids Convention. She says new chair Pete Hoekstra is purging delegates who may pose a threat to his leadership. We're done. We're we're not playing their game. We're not going to let them pick and choose whose voice is important, whose voice is heard. The GOP says people denied credentials were too late to register for the Grand Rapids caucuses. NIST says an appeal to the Republican National Committee is possible. I'm Rick Pluta. 
More than one million Palestinians are packed into Rafah, a city in southern Gaza that's largely been denied access to food and clean water. Israeli officials have promised to conduct military operations in the city as a way to root out the remaining members of Hamas. Human rights organizations say military operations in Rafah would likely kill thousands more Palestinians. At a news conference in Washington, D.C. yesterday, Michigan Congresswoman Debbie Dinkle called the events in Gaza unacceptable. She says the Biden administration must demand a ceasefire. There are people with guns shooting at people trying to bring in humanitarian aid. People are starving to death. There is a danger of famine. The Biden administration has vetoed three votes at the United Nations that demanded a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Earlier yesterday, Israeli soldiers fired on Palestinians who were unloading food and supplies in northern Gaza, killing more than 100 and injuring hundreds more. This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and I'm coming to Grand Rapids to give a talk that I call Seven Things I've Learned, which is basically just an excuse to tell a bunch of stories, play some clips, play some video, talk about how we make the radio show. There's stuff that we have not put on the air and never will put on the air. It's a bunch of stories that are just really fun to tell in front of a crowd. Join me Saturday, April 6th at DeVos Performance Hall. For tickets, visit DeVosPerformanceHall.com. Again, DeVosPerformanceHall.com. Dune Part 2 is in theaters to almost universal critical acclaim. The movie presents the second half of Frank Herbert's classic story with Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, and Austin Butler starring. Also in theaters is the Polish entry into the Academy Awards, The Peasants. WGVU Scott Vanderwerf talks with Eric Kuyper from Studio C. In the shadows of Arrakis lie many secrets, but the darkest of them all may remain. The end of House Atreides. Your father didn't believe in revenge. What if Paul Atreides were still alive? And that's from Dune Part 2, opening in theaters. And I know, Eric, you got a chance to see Dune Part 2. I've only seen Dune Part 1, which I thought was an amazing adaptation of a, a you know of half of a novel that I love. And uh, so what do you, what are your uh, what, what did you come away from with Dune Part Two? Well, like you said, I mean, it, it so now you've get you get the second half. And for anybody who's read the book, I mean, it the book, the book shifts significantly in its second half. Right. I mean, the the first part of that book is a tremendous amount of world building. You're getting you know, you're, you're getting associated with who's who and the political structures and the action certainly starts to ensue. I mean, you know, in the first movie, especially they, they get to the action pretty quickly. Um, as you know, house Atreides is put in place, but you know, what are the, uh, to, to run this planet and, and, you know, what are the kind of seedy things happening below the surface that they're getting set up for and all that stuff, right? That's the first movie and establishing Paul as, you know, this young, this young man who maybe has this, you know, very significant future, this kind of mysterious future because of his mother and his father and and all that stuff. Right. So the, the world, the table is set Dune to now it is time to feast on action. I mean, it, it really, really kicks in. And 
I, I mean, I remember feeling this way in the first one that um, for how much world building is going on, it was paced amazingly. That it doesn't feel like a long or a slow movie, even though it's you know knocking on the door of three hours long. This movie has a ton of action and is is also very deliberately paced. I mean, it just keeps moving. And they're both approximately the same. As I recall, uh, Doom Part 1 is around 2 hours and 45 minutes. This is 2 hours and 46 minutes as well. So they're, it looks like they're of a piece in that way. Now, what I've heard from from uh, uh, checking out some some early reviews is people saying that this is a stunning cinematic achievement. That this sets the bar for science fiction epics in a way that 2001 did in the late 60s and the way that Star Wars did in the late 70s. It, well, it, it does. And and I, I found myself as I was watching it, just it, it is so beautiful to look at. I mean, the, his uh, Villeneuve's ability to to create a shot, a stunning cinematic shot is... I mean, I feel like with this film, he is establishing himself as truly one of the great filmmakers alive. And, you know, and, and, and we can get into an even bigger category if we want to there. I mean, for anybody who's a fan of his, if you watched Arrival, I mean, there is a science fiction movie that also was so stunning to look at. And just, you know, he was telling the story through these beautiful images as much as it was this sort of intriguing, mysterious plot line. So here, which was based on a on a novella by Ted Chang, who's one of the great living science fiction writers. So now you have, you know, and, and obviously Arrival is why he was, I, I would say, is why he was given Dune, right? You, this 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 was a piece of content that nobody was, you know, if you're going to touch it, if you're going to make, you better do it right. And certainly that's the how he felt about it because it's so beloved. In the, you know. He he parlays he parlayed Arrival into Blade Runner twenty forty nine and in which is also stunning to look at also another sacred piece of science fiction content right I mean Blade Runner also you shouldn't touch unless you're gonna add to the add to its lore and with Doom Part Two the visuals uh, and the sound and it's just so it it's so engrossing that um, when you when you situate that in the context of such a great story, I mean, the characters in Dune, there are a lot of them. So that's the only, I think, hiccup that this thing maybe has for the general public is, um, you know, uh, our, our wizard of social media uh, for, for celebration um, had posted what I thought it just made me laugh out loud. This uh, this post this week on Instagram with all of the names that Paul has in the movies, he literally has like six different things he is called. Right. So it's a lot to kind of keep track of. And so that could be a barrier for some. Yes, you want to watch part one before you go into part two. It is definitely a part two. It's in the name, you know, so, you know, do do that. And if there's anything that might dampen its opening weekend box office is probably that if people haven't caught up with one yet and they want to watch it before that might actually that might actually slow down how fast people get to it because they they want to see that. I I get that. What the the buzz on this movie though as people are walking out of the auditoriums is just going to be incredible. Now, it is part 2 
And so there is this much larger legacy that's going on. And, you know, it's not a real mystery that they intend to make another film and that this will get into, you know, Dune Messiah and, and that content. We have no timeline on that, all that. So does it give you this tight little bow and, you know, wrap everything up? It doesn't, but neither does the book. So it, that's not, you know, that's not to separate itself. Well, when Frank Herbert wrote the book, when he ended the book, he did not in he did not end the book with, okay, and now I'm going to start part two. It was only after it became so amazingly successful. So the ending of Dune, the ending of the book is the ending of the book. And then Dune Messiah is, takes place quite some time after the ending of, of Dune. And then, and then the third book is children of Dune. And that's like sort of the proper trilogy of the books. They've gone on both Frank Herbert and now Frank Herbert's son have carried on the series Right. Uh, but Dune is the masterpiece. Yeah. And, and, and I think part of the masterpiece of the book is that it, it did not feel compelled to just put it all in a box and a bow and say, you know, and then they all lived hap- happily ever after. Right. I mean, it is, it is a journey of this character and the people around this character, Paul, um, and, and then their own journeys and how mixed and tangled and entangled all of that is and how messy that gets and what is, you know, what is uh, hope fulfillment look like and what is living into your legacy look like and what is, you know, what is betrayal look like? I mean, all this stuff. I mean, it's got all the great themes of, of a human story and epic. And then when you put it in the hands of someone like Villeneuve who can create images that are truly I just feel like I could just screenshot them and hang them on my walls and the the thing that really the the moment that got me you were referencing Star Wars and some of these other things I was the the uh the sci-fi technology in Dune you know and some people are going to really not like what I'm about to say I think is infinitely cooler than anything that shows up in Star Wars or Star Trek the the ships the way they function the way they look in this movie is just so fun it's just so interesting and and quite frankly beautiful even though it's stark and I would say um uh that that's on the filmmaker that's not in the book the book, one of the things, the, the book is considered a book of space opera, but it never takes place in space. It starts yeah. off in the origi- at the original planet, and then it gets to Ericus, and, and, and all of the spacefaring is sort of like off, you know, off screen, so yeah. to speak, in the book. And until the end, when there are ships that have come and they're hovering over the, like right over the planet, right. or right over the city. Yeah. Uh, but even then, you don't really get it in the book. It's not a big deal for Herbert to, to, to describe these things. He just takes it upon the reader to, to understand what they are. Right. And the thing that I really loved about the, the book, uh, my, my favorite character in the book is Jessica, quite frankly. I love the dynamic that she brings, this mysterious you know, kind of religious spirituality that's underneath all of this stuff that is likely guiding and controlling, you know, everything that's going on. And the interplay between her and Paul, when I went in to see the first one, I was nervous how that might not be able to manifest itself on the screen. Um, And I thought they did a really nice job. They did a really great job. Yeah. And so that continues to play itself out in this one. And it's just... 
it's a feat of of cinema. It's yeah, it's ninety six percent certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's the kind of movie that people want to see on a gigantic screen, and 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 they get it here to start out the month of March. And uh, also the peasants opening, and this is the uh, Polish entry into the uh, the Academy Awards. Yeah, so really interesting. Uh, this is an animated film and uh, it, oil paintings. So think live action oil paintings is what this is. So it, really unlike anything you've seen before. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Scott. This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for Friday, March 1, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling, and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan on Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.